Hello everyone, it's Friday the 17th of November and welcome to episode 181 of the Kite Podcast with me, Ben Eagle. Now, Will is also here today, but instead of hosting, he's actually today's guest. And that is because today we're focusing on the upcoming Oxford Farming Conference, which is set to take place in early January next year. Our very own Will Evans is the current chair of the conference, and so Becky decided to turn the tables on him this week, and we'll be quizzing him about the theme of the conference, the power of diversity, why he wants to focus on this subject, and what it means for farming today. We're also joined by Oxford Farming Conference Director and Deputy Editor of Farmers Weekly, Abby Kay. Our podcast producer and senior consultant to Kite, Becky Leach, is in the background. And as always, everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Walkland, is with us. Chris, let's go over to you for the Milk Market Report. Where are you this week? Well, ladies and gentle listeners, I'm bringing you my report from outside Defra's HQ this morning, where I've set up a betting shop because it's time, QNAF game show music will, to play. Guess how long the new Defra minister's going to last again? (laughs) Please put that in, by the way. (laughs) Instead of just guessing, though, you can now place a bet. As you will have seen in the news this week, Theresa Coffey jumped before she was pushed and lasted precisely 384 days, during which time she did, hang on, let's consult my notes, Uh, nothing of note, I don't think. So we're now into our ninth minister in 10 years, and Mr Barclay, whoever he is, which gives us an average of one minister every 13 months. So place your bets, everyone. Will he still be Minister of Agriculture by the time of the Oxford Farming Conference in January? Or even next week? Who knows? And the first person I'm going to invite to place a bet is you, Mr William. And I'm offering one to ten, to ten odds that a Miss Joyce Watson, Welsh MP for Mid and West Wales, isn't going to last very long at the hands of farmers after her comments this week in the Senate about dairy farms with TB. Mm -hmm. If you haven't heard them, they are these, and I quote, "Uh, Minister, have you looked at any farms that have perpetual TB status and have you considered the question of whether those farms should be dairy farms at all. Perhaps if it is the case that they are in perpetual TB infection status, surely they need to find another business. There you are. Deplorable, insensitive and shocking, said NFU Kimru, rightly so. So I'll leave that one there. Sounds as if some of your MPs are worse than ours, Will. Yeah. (laughs) And so to the markets and what has happened this week. Well, I think the big talking point is milk volumes. Not all of the EU states have published their September volumes. But if those that haven't published have produced the same as they did last year, then overall EU volumes will come in around 12.14 Uh, billion litres, which would be down 
1.61% on last year, including the UK. That would be the biggest drop since December 2021. If those figures are right, then that's a pretty immense drop, but it has been on the cards for a while. There was no GDT this week, but there was a pulse auction. Whole milk powder sold for fractionally less than two uh, to three thousand dollars, actually three thousand uh, dollars down on the main auction across all whole milk powder contracts last week. Uh, skim powder was also down a hundred dollars, so some signs of uh, slippage there. In Europe this week, across the nine powder categories and three butter ones, there have been five positive movements, six uh, neutral ones, and one negative. So a pretty balanced week. Uh, the biggest faller again was skim milk powder. Um, down to 2640 euros. So another indication of a bit of slippage there. Uh, the biggest winner, though, was German butter. That was up 370 euros, a good rise there, but only playing catch up. And it brings the average to 5,330 euros or 4,600 to 4,700 sterling. So butter is flying high and my industry moles tell me supply is very tight indeed, so likely to stay strong for a good while yet. And as far as your milk prices are concerned, butter and skim equates to just over 33 pence now after costs and a margin. Eight weeks ago, it was 26 pence. Uh, despite the strong prices, there are some who doubt the rising prices will last. They are still pointing to unpredictable uh, demand, low demand. But against them, there are those who point to falling milk volumes as evidence that the price gains are built on solid foundations. Next week, we've got the main GDT auction, and I think that will be absolutely crucial in setting the tone and determining who is right and who isn't. Uh, cream is still going pretty strong. Uh, here it's about £2.5, £2.6 I hear at highest uh, levels for the domestic market, uh, £2.15 for export. Um, in Europe though, uh, it's put by some traders as high as £2.60. On the, on the futures, Butters had another good week in Europe, not so good in New Zealand. It's up €120 Euros here to €5.650, down by the same amount in New Zealand. Uh, Skim is up €30 Euros here and a significant jump of €150 Euros in New Zealand and butter and skim convert to a milk price just a shade under 38 pence from February through to April, slightly less in January. So I can see some significant moves in the pipeline from those on the lowest prices right now. 
Uh, cheese, yeah, cheese is pretty good. Seems to have some momentum behind it now, not least because the curd price is flying and good is over 4,000 euros. And of course, the Irish are effectively out of the cheese market because their production season has largely uh, finished and UK manufacturers aren't rushing to make much more cheddar given the relative profitability or rather lack of it. So on curd, I've heard sellers say they've got 3,400 sterling, which would normally value mild at 3,550 by the time maturation and transport has been factored in. Uh, some traders say mild is at 3,500 sterling already. Others say it isn't, but it does beg the question as to why sellers would sell at 3,350, say, if they know they're going to get 3,550 in a month's time. Uh, the EEX exchange has mild cheddar at 3,400 sterling already. Stonex's cheese futures are higher than that and rising to 3,700 for quarter one next year and to 3,800 sterling for quarter two. So really big gains there if they're right. And spot milk is where it was, 40 pence for the desperate to buy, perhaps 10 pence less for those with breakdowns and those desperate to sell. So that's it for the report. Finally, though, a little plug. There are just five more sleeps to go before AgriScot, lady and gentle Scots listeners. Yet again, I'll be looking gormless on stage for the joint Kite Dairy Hub panel debate at one o'clock. So remember to come along and fire all your difficult questions at the other panellists and save all the easy <laughs> ones for me. Just don't ask me anything about Red Tractor. I'm not sure my blood pressure can take it, let alone everyone else in the room. And on that note, congratulations, Abby, for your red tractor or rather green tractor cover not so many weeks ago. Possibly one of the best ones I can remember in a long time. Thank so you. there you yeah. are. If you're at AgriScot, come along and say hi. Goodbye. Thank you very much, Chris. Um, Abby, it's really good to have you on the show. Uh, let's thank welcome you. you, first of all. Are, are you well? I'm very well, thanks. Are you? Yes. No, we're, we're, all, we're all good on the Kite good. Podcast team. And um, yeah, it, it, it does feel very strange, Will, having you as a guest today, um, I must say. But anyway. <laughs> it is strange. I, I, as you know, Val, I'm much happier asking questions than answering them. So yeah, it does feel weird. <laughs> Abby, let's start with you. Uh, tell us a little bit about your involvement with OFC um, and why you originally applied to become a director of the Oxford Farming Conference. Yes, so as you said, I'm a director and I applied because OFC is one of the biggest events in the farming calendar, isn't it? It's just such an agenda-leading event. You know, you start off early January in the new year and you really set the tone for the year. It's got speakers of the highest calibre and social events like the post-debate dinner and really remarkable surroundings. So it's just a totally unique experience. And 
People don't often realise as well the amount that the conference does for those who are disadvantaged through the bursary scheme. I think you might touch on that later. Um, those from ethnic minorities through the Breaking Barriers scheme. There's just so much more to OFC than you might imagine. But for me, I suppose I wanted to get involved to help sort of shape the event agenda and protect the conference's reputation as one of the premier events in agriculture. Um, you can tell me how successful I've been on that <laughs> after we <laughs> got there in January. Um, but I do think we've got some really interesting people speaking on some really interesting topics this year. So I think together as a group, we've done that job. But yeah, you can be the judge. Okay, there's a challenge. Uh, and well, I mean, uh, the conference is about looking forwards, really, I suppose. But let's look back for a bit and give us some context, I suppose, to the history of the conference and explain how it's changed and developed. Yeah, so the conference started in 1936. That's when the first one happened. Um, you'll have to ask John what that one was like. But um... <laughs> he's not uh, even here. Are you know he's, he's not listening. even here and doing a deal. You know he's listening. I love you really, John. Um, yeah, the first one happened then. Um, at that time in the 1930s, and I'm a bit of a, um, as you know, Ben, I'm a bit of a nerd about sort of farming history. So at that time, there was a real push forward in terms of food production and science. And a group of farmers in Oxfordshire got together with um, academics at Oxford University. And I think it was, I think back then agriculture was, uh, there was still an agriculture department at Oxford University. And that's how the conference sort of came about through farmers and academics working together. Um, it developed over years. I think it's happened every year since then, by the way, apart from the foot and mouth year of 1966. So I think apart you know, it's gone through the Second World War and all the um, challenges and changes in social history we've seen over the years, and even even COVID, when we managed to have two um, online conferences, um, which yes. which which were great, but not the same, obviously, as being um, together in Oxford. But um, it's um, it's really a it's an incredible event, as as Abby touched on, and it is um, partly due to the timing that it's that first. You know, everyone's back together after sort of Christmas and New Year. Um, there's a real buzz about it and excitement about people being together in Oxford and those those surroundings. Um, the kind of people you get there are everyone from uh, normal farmers like me, and I'll, I'll sort of talk a bit more about that in a bit, but it's agribusiness. We get a lot of international guests. You might get politicians from the UK, but also international politicians as well and representatives from uh, the American Embassy in London or the New Zealand High Commission, those kind of people are there. Um, we get uh, retailers, advisors, um, representatives of NGOs, uh, banking and finance, um, environmental bodies, royalty. Um, uh, uh, Her Royal Highness Princess Anne is our patron, so she she comes most years. Um, science, we get a huge media presence, um, not just from within agriculture, but, but from... Um, uh, conventional um, media as well, which is um, something that they're always very interested in attending. Um, our mission statement has always been to uh, inform, challenge and inspire. Um, this year we've changed that and I will come on to the theme shortly, but we'll, yeah. it's, we've changed it to include, challenge and inspire. The inspire bit's pr probably quite self-explanatory. You want people to come to the conference and go away feeling inspired and feeling lifted. And I went... Um, for a few years of paying delegate and I always felt like I got my money's worth. I always came away just buzzing, you know, hearing those inspiring speakers. Um, and I always sort of felt like I got something out of it to take back to my own farming business. 
But I think one of the most important things for me, and I think perhaps something we do better than a lot of other conferences is the challenge bit. So we put people on stage who who don't tell us what we necessarily want to hear, you know, people who do push us. Um, and we've put some really um, challenging speakers on stage over the years. And we've got some uh, this year as well, who I think will really challenge the audience. And I think that's, um, yeah, I think it's really quite central to what we do. Um, it's about thought leadership, most of all. It, it's about setting that agenda for the year, as Abby said. And I think that's something really, really um, important. I guess the networking thing is important too. Um, you know, when I first went to the conference, you it's amazing who you find yourself standing next to in the dinner queues or having lunch next to. You know, if you're an ordinary working farmer like me, suddenly you're sitting next to someone from you know, international politician or or someone sort of high up in the banking sector. And just those conversations can be really quite enlightening. Um, and you realise as well that, you know, I don't know about other listeners, but I probably, before I got involved with, I used to, I tended to sort of put those people on platforms, but you get talking to them. They're just ordinary people doing their best like anyone else. So getting the chance to have conversations and put in, um, talking to them about some of the issues that farmers are facing is, is really, really valuable, I think. And, um, just one thing before I quickly mention as well. Sometimes I think people have a misconception about OFC that we're some this sort of big money-making organisation. We're not. We're a very small charity. Our job every year is to break even. Some years we do that. Sometimes we make a loss. Sometimes we make a profit. Um, we're independently audited every year by the Charity Commission. If we started making a lot of money, we'd get a lot. We'd get in trouble. Um, it's challenging at the moment to make money um, as a conference. It's a hospitality event. Uh, it's really, really difficult. We've tried very hard to keep ticket prices um, to a reasonable level, but we know it's expensive. It is expensive to come. Um, I'll I'll talk about our bursary program next year uh, shortly, but I'm very proud of that and how we've tried to get working farmers involved. But it is expensive, but we have managed to keep ticket prices the same as last year, which has been um, an achievement considering how much our costs have gone up this year. But um, And we're also, uh, uh, it's just a board of directors as well. We're all volunteers all just ordinary farmers and people like Abby, me and Abby, people from within the farming sector who who give up a lot of our time to make this happen. So, um, so yeah, that's uh, a bit of a sort of potted history of the conference and and how it all works. That's great. Well, we'll dig into uh, more of that uh, later on. But first of all, can you just tell us, I suppose, about your journey um, with the Oxford Farming Conference as well? You've mentioned that uh, you went to the conference as a delegate um, a few years before you got involved as a director. But how did you first become a director? Why did you want to become a director? I suppose Abby sort of set out um, her platform, Mm -hmm. but what's yours? And, And then ultimately, of course, you became the chair as well yeah still don't know i'm still not sure how that happened but um yeah so a simple podcaster will well yeah and the ongoing midlife crisis i'm having i think so uh yeah which which is kind of maybe why it came about so um uh, matt naylor who who uh former many listeners will be aware of matt writes in farms weekly and um he's a former chair of the conference as well when he was a director um, I think it was not long after I'd started doing my podcast, Matt got in touch and said, um, have you ever thought about um, coming to the Oxford Farming Conference as a part of our Emerging Leader Programme? And I said, what's the Emerging Leader Programme and what's the Oxford Farming Conference? I've never heard of it. And <laughs> I genuinely hadn't. And that's, you know, I don't know whether that <laughs> reflects badly on me or not, but, you know, I'm just a just a tenant farmer from Wrexham. And, I, you know, was for years just quite focused on my own farm and, and nothing else really didn't pay much attention to wider industry um 
But as I said, I, w- I was sort of going through a bit of a midlife thing and I was trying to say yes to things and have new experiences. And I thought, well, okay, I'll I'll lash in an application and see what happens. So I did that um, and um, was successful in my application and, and was part of the what was then known as the Emerging Leader Programme. We've now changed it to the Inspire Programme. But so I went to the conference, I think it was, I think it was 2018, um, and just you know by the way i was really apprehensive i really wasn't sure i thought is this for me am i just going to stick out like a sore thumb you know is everybody there going to be sort of you know more intelligent than me and better dressed than me and have had better education than me which was which was true they did but it was also just really really friendly um that that word that i always mispronounce egalitarian um you know, as I mentioned, you could just talk to anybody. Everybody was really welcome. And the rest of the emerging leader group were just brilliant. And, and yeah. many of them have, have become lifelong friends, some of my best friends. Um, and what an experience it was, you know, and, and I guess sort of all of us doing that together, none of us had obviously been to the conference before, because that's one of the criteria of, of the Emerging Leaders Inspire program. You can't have been before. And I suppose just sort of walking through those doors and that kind of whirlwind of information and the surroundings and just you just really did feel like you'd won the Willy Wonka golden ticket. You know, it was it was an incredible thing. And, you know, I don't I don't it'd be probably a bit much to say it changed my life, but it, it certainly had a really big impact on, on my life. And um, I, and one of the interesting things, by the way, was that imposter syndrome that I arrived with when I got to know the rest of the group. And I, uh, you know, sitting in that room on the first day, I, I was looking around thinking, oh my God, what am I doing here? But, you know, you get to know everyone and you realise that everybody has that imposter syndrome. Everybody did. And, you know, that was uh, sort of quite an um, uh, interesting penny drop moment for me um that, that everybody feels like that but um it was incredible I just loved it so much and I felt very sort of grateful to have Sue for giving me the opportunity to go and I wanted to therefore give something back um and a couple of directors um a year or two after that sort of said to look have you ever thought about applying to be a director I hadn't I hadn't even given it a second thought but again I just thought well what's the worst can happen um last in an application and and, uh, and was successful and it's just been an incredible um three years ever since i've loved the people I, uh, i've got to know and people i've worked with the directors or service providers um past and present directors who i worked with and just um what an incredible opportunity it's been you know i i work with just on the smallest or relatively small scale family business at home um and i love that but getting to work as part of a big, really diverse team of people uh, and hopefully bring something has uh, been um, an incredible just learning experience and just the things I've done and conversations I've had will, will always live with me. And yeah, I ended up as chair. Um, again, I've never really done any kind of leadership role, so I've had to absolutely wing it. And you'll have to ask Abby how it's gone. <laughs> How's it gone, Abby? Do you know, uh, he's, he's done absolutely brilliantly. He's far too modest for his own good. He's been a fantastic chair, brilliant to work with, and just so supportive and helpful. So yeah, stop doing yourself down, Will. Yeah, uh, don't don't well make said. me cry. Don't make me cry, Abby. But yeah, it's been uh, it's been incredible. And and as as Abby said, in about the first one, you will have to see. I know you're obviously you're obviously coming to the conference, Ben, and you'll have to you can tell us both how it went. But um, yeah, we'll we'll see. But um, yeah, it's been a it's been a joy. Yeah. 
Well, we'll talk about this year's theme in a bit. But first, I just want to pick up on something you said um, in that last answer. And that was the phrase, just a tenant farmer from Wrexham. And <laughs> we all know that you're incredibly modest anyway. Um, but I think it's an important phrase because uh, obviously, yeah, it goes without saying that farmers are the lifeblood of the industry, um, obviously. Um, but why is it important for farmers to get involved, um, mud on boots farmers to get involved in conferences, events um, and organisations such as the Oxford Farming Conference, do you think? Yeah, I'm really passionate about this. Um, it's really difficult. And I mentioned the sort of first kind of 38 years of my life, I barely got off the farm much. And I sort of had a kind of quite a quite a set idea of how wider industry works and how policy was formed and how it all kind of filtered down to the farm but when I started getting involved with things I realized how, just how important it is for ordinary farmers to be in these rooms because that's where these discussions happen it's where these things are informed and just by having a single a simple conversation can have a massive, massive impact. So some of the kind of MPs I've talked to or, or MSs in Wales, you know, sometimes it's just having them out on your farm, sitting down over the kitchen table and and talking to them about your issues because a lot of these people have extremely wide briefs. You know, as we know, they're not in, sometimes not in their job very, very long. You know, we've had, <laughs> obviously, as we know, very current. Um, and they, they just can't possibly take it all in. And you have to talk to them and tell them the issues that you're facing because a lot of the time they just don't know. And it might be tenancy issues. It might be, you know, the reasons why you're struggling to get in an environment scheme, um, why that scheme isn't working for you. It might be things, um, I don't know, when new regulations are coming in, you know, and that might seem all very simple to policymakers, slurry regulations, things like that. And just having those discussions with them, actually, this is really difficult for us, adding a lot of costs to our business and all that kind of thing. So, I think it's really, really important. And it's obviously, you know, organizations like NFU, AHDB, you know, all those organizations doing a brilliant job um, about representing farmers. But I also think there's a real value in just farmers being there on their own um, and putting their point across. And um, it's something I've really tried to do over the last few years and try to encourage other farmers to do so. And, and that's why we've worked so hard in getting um, ordinary farmers like myself to OFC um, over the last few years and our bursary program which we mentioned earlier is something that we're all very proud of so farmers can come uh, for free they can apply um, we know that ticket price is a barrier um, I've mentioned that already it's it's difficult for ordinary farmers to get there and to cover the cost of the ticket but our bursary is is there for ordinary working farmers to come to the conference for free um and that's something we're all very proud of and and recognize the importance of so yeah it's it's super important that working farmers are in the room it's hard for people to get off the farm never been more so probably at the moment um we know we're all short-staffed and that's something i'll, I'll go on to talk about with one of the sessions we're doing at the conference um you know where we're going to look at how do we get people into the industry but um i think it, it's really worthwhile yeah, you mentioned costs. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, Abby. So, sorry, just to add, when I look at some of the other events that are taking place, particularly in the sustainability space, there is absolutely no farmer representation mm. whatsoever. And you think those conversations are taking place 
the kind of people who would go into those events, massive food companies, government representatives, no farmers there. It's so important that farmers are part of that conversation because the policies that are brought in in this space are going to affect them most of all. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Can, can I ask a question? How, how many delegates do you get at OFC and, and roughly what is the split? You know, you're working really hard and we we sometimes see it, at, you know, at conferences that we're involved with. It can be difficult to get you know, mud on boots type farmers there. What, how, how many farmers do you get? Well, yeah, so if we if we sell out and, and we're working, we're, we hope we do, uh, we get about 640 there total delegates. Um, uh we also you can buy an online ticket as well which is obviously far far cheaper the online tickets are very valuable you can watch the conference on uh, very not very valuable uh very good value and you can watch the the conference online and you can send in questions from home and get involved in that way as well um so we sell a lot of those as well um internationally um for people who can't obviously travel um the split of the conference i don't know i would say about a third of the people there are farmers um so through our scholars program where we get a lot of young farmers there and people who are studying at various um agricultural universities um we have our inspire program which um aren't all farmers but they're all sort of people involved in farming um and then we also uh have uh our bursary program as i mentioned which tries to get sort of 40 we have 40 places for ordinary farmers and then we get an awful lot of farmers as well who just come and buy a ticket um uh, we interestingly we also we get a lot of people who i suppose this is part of the idea of it but the inspire program as i mentioned i went in 2018 and then i i loved it so much that i carried on going as a paid delegate afterwards so a lot of farmers come a bit like i did a bit wary about the whole thing but they enjoy it and they get so much out of it that that they keep coming afterwards so it's something that we are constantly working on um, and trying to find the right balance and we'll probably never get it quite right and it's also important by the way that we get all the other people i mentioned there we want a really good mix but we're always trying to get more farmers there and it's always something that we're we're very focused on yeah i should just say i'm on the inspire program this year incredibly unfortunate to get a place and we've had our first two days in london so as part of the inspire program uh, you get to go first of all uh, for two days of of leadership training and and to be inspired really but the point and i want to talk about this later but really the point i want to make now uh, just following on from what will has been saying is that it very much feels as part of that group that we've got a really good mix of the industry as a whole in that group and in a, on a small scale it almost feels like a mini oxford farming conference itself um just in that group so we'll go on to talk about diversity um, but i think that's absolutely key um oh my goodness there are so many questions i want to ask you just just following up on where you've been but uh, let's turn to this year's theme um because otherwise we're going to run, run out of time today um the power of diversity um why did you want to do this will and and explain yeah explain the sort of context behind it and and what you mean um by it yeah so that it, it came about um really as um after conversations i had with last year and the year before's inspire group so last year um i led on the inspire program um loved it the year before i was um helping emily norton last year's chair who was leading on it and brilliant groups as you say ben about this year's group just really really awesome mix of people um well that's from luck rather than judgment you know we do try to 
get a diverse group of people in, but you never really know who's going to apply. But um, it's just been, and and if you ask me sort of what, what my highlights are of working um, as an OFC director, working with the Inspire groups is 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 probably my highlight. Just just sort of getting to bounce ideas off them and see that way it's helped them has been just just incredible. Um, but we have some really, really good conversations. And one of the conversations that kept coming up was how do we get people into agriculture? How do we make this a destination industry that people want to be in? How do we make it um inclusive and not exclusive so it's not just people who are born into farming you know how do we get people who are born in a town or city somewhere to to come to farming and bring that different perspective i mean some of the some of the i say this as a 10th generation farmer some of the best farmers i know are first generation farmers because they come in with that different mindset that different perspective they ask a lot of questions why are we doing this why are we not doing this you know, and I think that's really, really important. And you know, I've seen this on on our OFC board because we're such a diverse group. Um, and you know, look, we could always be more diverse, and we again, we're constantly working on that. But because we're a really diverse group, we're never in violent agreement about everything. We we're always challenging each other, and we and I think as a, as a as a group, then we come up with really um different ideas and a different way of thinking and i think that's something that's really important to agriculture so i've been thinking about this a lot and i was on the tractor last summer uh um thinking about uh, i knew i was going to be chair this year and i was thinking about what theme we could have and i always wanted to do something different as well i didn't i didn't um want to just kind of do the same kind of old theme um and i just thought why don't we make the whole conference theme about diversity so We'll call it the power of diversity and we'll focus on diversity of people. So as I've just said, getting people into agriculture from all kinds of different backgrounds, whatever there, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, I don't, I don't, couldn't care less what background someone's from or what race, religion, sexuality, it doesn't matter. All we want is talented people to come into the industry. Um, and, and I think that's super important. So that was important, the people aspect. And, and there are some really, um, uh, great farms at the moment some dairy, some dairy farms are doing some brilliant work on this on thinking outside the box in terms of recruitment and we'll go on to that because one of the speakers we've got is going to talk about that but it was also about biodiversity you know we how often do we talk about the environment it's the big issue of our age isn't it farming sustainability so farming with the environment farming in an environmentally friendly manner um you know, we're all looking at ways to diversify at the moment. You know, it, that's a big thing. You know, how, you know, especially with the loss of um, single farm payment, how are we going to diversify, make our businesses more resilient? So diversity of uh, diversification, but also diversity of income streams. Diversity of thought, you know, different speakers come into the conference. There's a lot of speakers. I mean, if it was the, God, God help you all, if it was the Will Evans Farming Conference, you know, it would be pretty boring because it'd all be just people I want to hear from. But but it isn't because we're a board of people and we're trying to, we've all got different ideas. You know, that's the challenge bit. You know, there are some of the speakers this year who are going to challenge my thinking. Um, you know, Ben Goldsmith, for example, who's speaking in the debate, you know, he's going to, he wouldn't be someone I possibly would have put on this stage myself. But he, in the debate, that's going to be really, really good. Good to hear what he has to say. And I think that's that's quite important. So it's just that sort of diversity. And I suppose what I want it to be is an antidote to 
that sort of feeling. I think we all feel that public discourse, probably fueled by social media, echo chambers and populism and very sort of entrenched views that are out there at the moment, it's difficult to make progress on anything. And what I wanted this conference to be is a celebration of difference. So everybody can come together in the conference. It's a safe space. You can air your views. Everybody will respect them. And then hopefully we can find a way forward together um, and face the challenges that we're we're all uh, we're all facing as a, as a, as an industry and as a community. So sorry, that's a very long way of uh, long winded way of explaining <laughs> it. But um, yeah, as you, as you can tell, I, I'm I'm quite passionate about it, and I I'm really really hopeful that um, we'll make a lot of progress this year. Abby, can you take us back to, I suppose, the early days when this discussion was being had uh, amongst the OFC directors board, how it went down um, and how the OFC directors themselves, yourselves, uh, have shaped it um, towards where we will be in January? Yeah, so it was very much Will's baby. Um, He set a record, I think, in having the theme of 2024's conference set out at the 2023 event. Yeah. Um, and I remember the day when he told he came in and he uh, told us he'd been sitting on his tractor and sort of pitched this idea to us. And to be honest, there was there was some discussion about what does diversity mean to your average farmer? Would they maybe think it was about diversification? And there was a conversation along those sort of lines and a conversation about the need to make it broader than just diversity in people and to encompass all of the things that we'll just discuss there. And it didn't touch on food itself, you know. Yeah. Food is glorious in its diversity, and we're going to be exploring the beauty of that as part of the conference as well. We are, yeah. But, yeah, but there was um, almost instant- instantaneous, I would say, um, unanimous agreement that this was a really good theme, and we've all been really excited to explore it and sort of build it out. So, yeah, great idea from Will. Yeah, perhaps with your Farmers Weekly hat on, what's your sort of gauge of, how the wider response has been so far it's really positive and i think that people do understand that it is such a broad term diversity and it does encompass so many things all of the things that will has touched on and they're so important to farmers i mean <clears throat> excuse me even down to you know diversity of income streams as will was saying that's real business um practical important stuff that we're touching on there so it's not an airy fairy theme it's very practical it's on the ground and yeah the response to it has been positive mm. and running alongside this uh, of course and again going over to your farmers weekly hints, um i just want to talk about um your new campaign with farmers weekly level the field um which is about encouraging um, us all to Uh, think more about the discussion about women in farming can you just tell us more about this new campaign um what your aims are and what you want to achieve and maybe talk about the uh the survey that's going around as well yeah absolutely so this idea came about because we really wanted to do something effective on the subject of women in agriculture and you'll be aware it's quite a crowded space these days there's lots of support groups for women in agriculture lots of events focused on women in agriculture And they are really important and they have their place. But I really felt as though we needed to do something that moved beyond celebrating the successes of women and creating safe spaces for them and do something that actually shifts the dial on some of the remaining problems. 
And there are remaining problems. We've got to be honest about that because if we're not, we can't move forward as an industry. And that's not about finger pointing or apportioning blame to anybody. It's just about recognizing the reality of the situation. So if you look at things like land ownership rates among women, they're ridiculously low, which means they might struggle to access private finance or government support. They face difficulties in using equipment. So um, the survey that you've mentioned, we've had some preliminary results. People saying, I can't use the tractor because it's old kit. There's no power steering. It's difficult for me to use. Or, you know, you might need a powered wrench, this, that and the other. So there's just difficulties in using things that perhaps men might not feel um, are difficult to use. Work clothing designed for men. So if you've got overalls, if you're a woman, you've got to pretty much take them off to go to the toilet. Um, and then that physical work environment itself, things like facilities on farm like toilets. We had a woman write an opinion piece for us a couple of years ago about the state of on-farm toilets. And it went absolutely bananas. Readership number number levels were through the roof. And in that piece, she said she knew um, a woman who had been contracting and she'd given up the job because she wasn't able to go to the toilet during the day and it was making it ill. Like wow. This is such a basic mm. human need that we are not meeting at the moment. Um, other th- other difficulties women face, it's hard for them to take advantage of things like flexible working practices if they have children or other family needs to attend to. And that burden does generally fall upon the woman. Um, so that's where this campaign will be unique because we want to kind of shine a light on these problems and actually attempt to offer some meaningful solutions to them. Um, so we've kicked it off with this survey, as you mentioned. Um, you can go on the Farmers Weekly website and you'll find a story 10 years on how far have women come in agriculture it's called and there's a link to complete the survey there if you go to our social media platforms you'll be able to find it um the response has been absolutely phenomenal to it we've already had over 1800 responses and it only went out last tuesday um so it's basically trying to find out as i say 10 years on how far women have come because in 2014 we ran a really similar survey a lot of the same questions And we're really trying to get a baseline for how much progress has been made because nobody seems to be measuring that. So that will give us a helpful framework to understand how far we've come, where the problem issues still lie. And then we can look at how to take forward the campaign on the back of those results. We can focus our energy on the places where people think we need to. But yeah, super excited about it. And if you want to get involved, do get in touch with me. You can find me on all social media platforms. Brilliant. And the survey itself, it's head to the Farmers Weekly website, yes? Yeah, or you can go to the Farmers Weekly, any of our social platforms, you'll, you can go on there and you'll be able to find the link. I just want to um, mention at this point, I've spent the last week in the US and Canada with a group of um, young dairy farmers, and one of which, and she'll be very embarrassed for me mentioning, I'm sure, but if you want to go back to, um, you know, people what the right environment can do for people outside agriculture coming into the sector um the, there's a farmer who's part of the one of the groups that I run uh he's got a really young team and he really prides himself on having a young team and five years ago uh this young woman approached him and said look I'd like to have a go at milking cows never milked cows before um and she's just been on us uh on the trip with us she's now managing his almost thousand cow unit as the herd manager with his support but with a young team under her absolutely knocking it out of the park in terms of technical knowledge and appetite she's doing an awesome job 
Um, yeah, so so kudos to Matt Thomas, who who uh, was the farmer who gave her a shot, and uber kudos to uh, Rebecca Ferguson, who's this just amazing herdswoman. He's going to go on and do amazing things, I'm sure. He's already doing amazing things. That, that's, that's amazing. Uh, I'm just, yeah, sorry, Abby. That, that's because that's that's effectively what we're trying to say with this conference, you know, uh, isn't it? You know, we're just trying to get those people into farming and, and look what look what they can achieve. Oh, she's, she's phenomenal. Phenomenal. And that one of the things that we want to do as part of this campaign is to spotlight best practice. So farms that are really exceeding in these areas and going out of their way to make sure that women can succeed we want to hear from you we want you to be able to share your experiences with other farmers so that they can learn from you so if you are doing something amazing in this space again please do get in touch fantastic just turning back to Oxford farming conference um there is a a very diverse range of speakers um coming up and i just wondered if you could each give me uh i suppose an idea of who you're personally looking forward to seeing um abby maybe you first um couple for me so michael duxbury um so he is was the first blind person to go to an ag college back in the 80s and he set up an inclusive farm um designed to teach about farming to other disabled students um, while also highlighting their abilities to the industry and i'm really industry interested to hear him speak and to get his perspective and then Caroline van der Plas who's the leader of the farmer citizen movement in the Netherlands which won um, a big victory in the regional elections in March 2023 really keen to hear her story well uh loads um loads we, we've worked so hard on the program i've lived and breathed this program for I, i've never been on a spreadsheet so much in my entire life as i have on, on the program spreadsheet but um i mean uh, to start with we're kicking off the conference on the thursday morning with our ofc report which is into the diversity of supply chains and the the incredible uh ali kappa and you have to call you have to sort of you have to call her the incredible Ali Kappa because she is. She just, <laughs> I've never met anyone like Ali for just getting things done. And I read through the draft of the report last night and it is it has got serious impact. So we're looking into the the iron grip basically that supermarkets have got on 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 supply chains. And um I think it's gonna have massive impact. So Ali's done that, put it all together. Um the guy who's written it is a guy called Jed Futter, retail expert. And I think I think that session kicking off the conference like that immediately before the politics session is going to have um, real, real impact. So I am really looking forward to that. Um, just to sort of cherry I pick, uh, yeah, I think I think it's going to be awesome. Just to sort of cherry pick a few because there is a, a lot. There's a guy called Vincent Dumeziel um, speaking, um, who in our uh, from waste to opportunity um, session, who uh, is going to be he's written a book called The Seaweed Revolution. I'm quite interested in that. I think um the um potential for seaweed um in lots of different ways as a feed for cattle but also a feed for for humans is actually really really interesting so i'm looking forward to that i think that'll be one that um uh, a lot of people won't have heard before so that'll be good uh, we've got a session on uh, as i've mentioned food we're really putting high quality british food central to the conference this year so um we've got a session about food and drink bringing people together um and, and the idea will behind that was that um i'd been listening to a lot of stuff about the anniversary of the northern ireland peace peace protest uh peace process and um i picked up on something where 
um, one of the very senior people who were involved kind of said, look, a lot of the progress wasn't made in the big board meetings. It was made around the dinner table at night or around the bar. And that's how they managed to make pro- progress on years of warfare and conflict. Um, and I just thought that was really, really interesting how food and drink just brings people together and breaks down barriers. So um, that session I'm really, really looking forward to. So Jan McCourt, who's got um, a farmer in Rutland, very involved with has a farm called Northfield Farm. But he's also very involved in Borough Market, which is one of the most diverse places and exciting places you could ever visit. Uh, Tom Warner from um, Warner's Gin. Um, and uh, uh, Romy Gill, who's a, who's um, uh, a chef who, you, who you, a lot many listeners will have heard of. She's done a lot on Country Farm and things like that. So that's a, a session I'm really, really looking forward to. And then also just just one more, Sarah Dunning, who is the CEO of the Westmoreland Group. So that's T-Bay and Gloucester Services. So ordinary hill farming family in Cumbria. Um, the government decided to build the M6 through their farm. And rather than just sort of give up and crumble, they adapted and, and I've obviously thrived. I mean, I called in at T-Bay Services last weekend and, you know, people were queuing to get in the door to hand over like seven quid for a sausage yeah, roll. So, you know, what a <laughs> what a business. But also, you know, it's about the people, you know, and they they do a huge amount for the local community and employment, and but also the environment. So she's really a, a kind of keynote speaker because that covers lots of different aspects. So, I mean, th- there's loads of speakers, but those are, those are a few highlights I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, we should also just say for Kite listeners, uh, there are a couple of dairy farmers who are speaking as well, Rory Christie and, and Jim Shanks, um, who I was lucky enough to visit his farm a few years ago, and he's he's an incredible farmer. Yeah. Um, the politics session, it can't end the show without just turning to this a bit. Um, and obviously this is very topical at the moment, and that I, um, I, I can't imagine what it's like uh, for you guys as conference organisers at the moment. <laughs> but can we expect to see the new Secretary of State at Oxford? I've got to ask that question. And we expect it, Abby. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> yeah, we, we we don't know yet. We have um, extended the invitation. Um, fingers crossed, because there's precedent, you know, for uh, the Secretary of State to be there. That precedent was broken last year, mm-hmm. um, and we didn't get the Secretary of State. We had the Farming Minister. But fingers crossed that we do get Steve Barclay, the new Jeffrey Secretary, because we don't want to break the tradition, do we? We want the people who are making the decisions to be held accountable by attendees of Oxford Farming Conference. So, yeah, very much fingers crossed. And you also mentioned, um, Abby, that uh, Caroline van der Plas, the co-founder of the Dutch Farmer Citizen Movement, um, she'll also be in the politics session, um, which will give an interesting perspective. Um, just to, to tell us a little bit more about the thinking about including her. Yeah, so for the people who aren't aware, the Farm Citizen Movement, it, the BBB is what it's called. That's its Dutch acronym. Um, yeah, it came from nowhere. You're not going to say the full word, Abby. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my Dutch isn't great, so you know, we'll, we'll probably leave that. I'm not either, so. <laughs> um, yeah, so this party, it basically came from nowhere um, to become the largest party in all 12 Dutch provinces. Um, and that happened on the back of farmer protests um, because of the way that the government wanted to respond to EU nitrogen emissions reduction targets. Um, so, yeah, they basically wanted to bring in some really draconian rules that would end up closing down a lot of Dutch farms. And that really um, sparked a bit of a fire 
in the Netherlands. But there's just so many things that I want to learn from Caroline because I don't feel like we get the full story in the English press. I want to know what the situation was for farmers before these reduction targets were brought in because it feels to me as though there must have been some broader discontent before that for this farmers' party to have been created. I want to really get under the skin of that situation. Um, But I also want to find out if there are any parallels to what we're going through in the UK with um, an urban-rural divide and really understand how Caroline and the BBB were able to mobilise that rural vote and make it a force to be reckoned with politically. Um, Is there anything that we can learn from her experience at a time when it really feels as though farmers have been totally marginalised in political discussions here? So, yeah, I'm super excited to speak to Caroline and and get her perspective on all of this. Mm, Interesting. Oh, I want to talk about this all day, but we're going to have to start <laughs> to wrap it up. Um, well, I suppose to close, um, what impact would you like this year's conference to have? Uh, you and your fellow directors have put in a huge amount of work, that is clear, um, into putting the programme together. And we haven't even got there yet. But if you were to leave a legacy as chair, um, what would you like it to be? Um, the impact I'd like it to have, I, I suppose I mentioned this earlier, but that that kind of respect for other people's opinions, I think is uh, something that's really missing in society at the moment. And um, I, I really, really hope that at this conference that we can have those discussions, as I mentioned, different viewpoints. I mean, Caroline van der Plas is a really interesting example, um, different viewpoints um, so that um, we can, I don't know, find a way forward. I mean, it's just, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just a conference. We're not, we're, we're not changing the world with it and um, we never will. But I do feel that if you can bring people together in a room, different viewpoints, different backgrounds, look at those issues, talk about it in a sensible way, then it can have impact. I've always felt the conference was a force for good. Um, so yeah, that diversity element, I just think, it, it really has a potential to make a big difference in the way that we look at this industry. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think that's the impact I would like it to have. Um, I just want, to, I don't want this to feel like a tick box thing either. Like we've done diversity now, you know, as, as an RFC, as an industry, you know, I want that to be front and center um, to the conference going forward. I know it will be because of the directors that we've got very, very progressive and, um very open-minded about these kind of things so yeah i think the impact you know i i hope that it will be about that coming together very different people different sectors um and having good conversations about how we can find a way forward um legacy as chair uh (laughs) i don't don't know really i've not really i've not really thought about that i i guess i just um I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not sure about that. I haven't. I haven't. I suppose I, I'm proud of what we've done about the, with the bursary program and inspiring getting farmers there. I think. I think that's the thing I'm probably most proud of getting more farmers to the conference from when I started. And what I will say, actually, I did have a plan when I started. I wanted when I finished to walk around the conference and see more farmers there, hear more accents, see more different skin colours, see more diversity. That was very something I, I really wanted to bring to it. I think I might have even put it on my application form actually. So I I suppose if I look at it that in that way, I guess maybe that is 
something I've helped with a little, a little bit is making the conference generally more diverse and people from different areas, different backgrounds, all the rest of it. So yeah, I, I suppose not a very good answer, but I guess that's what I would hope it would be. Fantastic. Uh, if listeners haven't already got tickets, where do they go? Oh yeah. Thanks, Ben. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. If anyone wants to buy tickets, if anyone likes the, what we're doing as well, any sort of potential sponsors or partners get in touch. Cause you know, we always, we always need support and you know, we are passionate about collaboration and working with other organizations. So if you think you can help in any way, please do give me a shout. Um, yes. Uh, uh, www.ofc.org.uk for tickets Brilliant. that is all we have time for um, but a big thank you to our guests today Abby Kay, Will Evans he'll be back as host next week uh, Chris Walkland and our podcast producer Becky Leach and apologies if it sometimes sounded like producer Becky was in a wind tunnel uh, she was actually joining us on the road this morning Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Please see the show notes for more information, including our podcast disclaimer. We'll be back with you next week. But for now, it's goodbye from all of us here.